welcome you here to Grace Hill this morning. My name is Jason. Uh, it's great to have you here on this uh, post Thanksgiving Sunday. Uh, it's an awesome opportunity to come together uh, to worship. And I want to say, if you're new with us, uh, thank you for being here. If you're tuning in online, maybe for the first time uh, ever, or maybe it's been a while since you've tuned in online, you're watching from home, maybe you're still traveling out of town this weekend. Uh, just let us know there in the comments as you're watching this morning that you're uh, here uh, tuning in. We'd love to get a chance to connect with you after the service if you have that opportunity. Uh, there's some exciting things that are happening in our church right now. I want to make sure you know about them. The first one is this, uh, that this week we are wrapping up our James series. I'll talk more about that in just a minute as we jump into the text for today. Uh, but uh, next week we begin our Advent series and we're calling it, and I'm not going to explain why we're calling it this yet. You're going to have to come over the next few weeks to, as we begin to unpack this, but we're calling it Hope Against Hope is the name of it. And in this season right now of uh, so much, I think, disappointment, uh, so much uncertainty maybe in some of our lives, uh, maybe sometimes, it, you know, the last few months, uh, 18 months, it just felt like the world's been turned upside down. How do we have hope? How do we have hope in this season and in, and, and in our time right now? And so we're going to be looking at that through the season of Advent. Uh, but the other thing that we're doing right now as a church family is we do this every uh, season that, uh, that we find ourselves in right now around Christmas is uh, we do an annual event called Toy Drop. And it's a chance where we partner with families that are connected to Germantown Elementary School. Germantown Elementary is our adopted partner school. They are a, a Shelby County school, 88% minority, 49 48% of the families there are on uh, 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 food insecurities uh, type setup. And so it's a great opportunity for us as a church to come alongside and to help those who um, have needs this time of year. And you can go to gracehill901.com slash toy drop, find out all the information there. But what we're doing this Christmas season is we have adopted seven families that are at that school. And what we want to do is we want to provide uh, Christmas gifts for them and other needs that they may have. And all of that information is there on the website. We're going to be collecting those. Uh, Jessica Reisinger, our Compassion Ministries Director, has already begun to receive toys as well as some gift cards that are going to go and help these families out in this time uh, of need. And so it's an opportunity for us as a church uh, to make a difference in people's lives. People that we will probably never uh, meet them face to face. We'll never get an opportunity to, uh, to engage with them personally, um, but they will know that there are people who care. And that people who not just wear the shirts that say you matter and, and put it on our cars and those things, but we're actually proving uh, that people matter in our community because they're made in the image of God. And so I want to encourage you that if you can this Christmas season uh, to participate in that and make a difference, um, we're going to be collecting those gifts up through uh, kind of the middle end of December. And then we're going to give those to the guidance counselors and teachers there at Germantown, and they're going to distribute those gifts right before Christmas. And so uh, please... Uh, uh, take a minute if you can and participate in this project together. Uh, the last few weeks, we have been taking some time and just praying uh, in our service for our community, uh, how to reach our community, how to make our, our, our influence as a church be known in this community with the hope that we have in King Jesus. And so uh, today, even as we begin this season of Advent and we're kind of pointing towards you know 2022 and, and, and all of the new that comes with that, we do want to pause this morning and we do want to pray. And so 
I want to invite you to just kind of be in a posture of prayer. You can kneel, uh, you can bow low in your seat, you can hold your hands out in front of you. And we just want to take a few minutes and we just want to pray uh, to the Lord this morning uh, that he would continue to just burden our hearts, grip our hearts uh, with the hope that we have in King Jesus for our community to know him. And so we want to pray together this morning. So let's pray. Father, there are people in our community, in our, in, our, in our neighborhood, in our backyard right now who do not know you. They, they, they do not have the hope that we have. They, they do not know the truth, the reality that, that, we, that we claimed this morning that you are the chief cornerstone for all of life, for all of existence, for all of the world, for all of the universe. That you are the one that our hearts long for, that you are the one that our hearts wait for, even though there's so much competition so often in our hearts and our lives, and, and we have to do things like gather together in certain seasons of the church calendar to point our hearts and remind our hearts of the hope that we have in you. Father, I pray that you would grip our hearts, break our hearts, as scripture says, for our community. For people who don't know you, let us not just passively walk by them and drive by them and, and see them in their homes and, and, and not be concerned. Break our hearts. Grip our hearts with a passion for your gospel and a passion for your kingdom and how we can make a difference in the hope and the life that people have in you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Well, as we uh, finish out our series in the book of James, uh, I'm thankful for a few things. Uh, one, uh, one thing I'm particularly thankful for are the gifted folks who have helped with our teaching team through the course of the sermon series. Uh, you've seen them up here. Uh, Kelly, my wife, has taught a couple of times. Uh, Randall Johnson, uh, who taught last Sunday, he's taught a couple of times. Uh, our friend, our new friend, Randy Bloom, uh, has taught through this series. And I'm so thankful that God has given us voices in this church uh, that can teach God's word. And, and you get the benefit, the opportunity to hear from from them. Uh, the other thing I'm thankful for is the Word of God. You know, teaching through a book, especially a book of the Bible like James, uh, it's going to take us into places that if I were planning a sermon series out, I might not lead us into those places. You know, in this series, we have talked through uh, the idea of radical wisdom. What does radical wisdom look like? What does radical suffering look like? What does God expect from us in how we treat the poor? We, we looked at that at one of those first, I think, five or six weeks of the sermon series where it was this idea of radical worldview, that we treat the people who are poor and, and, and broken and, and, and we, we treat them differently than maybe what the world, how the world uh, uh, shows us to treat them. We've looked at, uh, Randy talked through this a few weeks ago, uh, where our ultimate dependence should come from. It doesn't come from things around us. It doesn't come from stuff. It doesn't come from uh, accumulation of things that our ultimate dependence rests in Christ. As we sang this morning, Christ alone. We've looked at radical speech and radical patience, what true humility should look like, and overall, what maturity as a Christ follower should really be 
in our lives. And today we wrap up this series by following James into an idea that um, in these last two verses of chapter five, that once again, if I were to be planning a sermon series, I don't know that James chapter five verses uh, 19 and 20 would be like top on my list of things to take us to. But we're teaching through this book and we want to do due diligence to take our time and to work through this text. You see, James isn't afraid to tackle, even in two verses, James is not afraid to tackle what it looks like to mature as a Christ follower and what it looks like to be mature as a Christ follower. And so we stand for the reading of God's word. So I want to invite you, it's going to be a short stand this morning because it's two verses, but I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Uh, I'm going to read James chapter five, verses 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You can be seated. There are two very uncomfortable realities that James presents us with in these two very short verses. The, the first uncomfortable reality that we're going to jump headlong into is this, is that you can stray from the truth. You can stray from the truth. No matter how long you or I have been following Jesus, it is possible to stray, to drift, to move away from the truth. James says it here. If any among you strays from the truth. Now, if you highlight or underline or circle or mark up in your Bible, that word any there is a good word to underline. James doesn't qualify that. He doesn't say, if any among you have been following Jesus for a short period of time, you can stray from the truth. He says, if any among you strays from the truth. And a warning sign, as I was thinking about this, you know, like what would be a warning sign? You know, if you, if you got a car and, and there's a warning light that comes on, I had to take my wife's car in this week because she's had this kind of ongoing weird issue with her car and I had to take it into the dealership this week, you know, this warning light kept coming on. And if we were to, you know, hear that statement, you can stray from the truth and you were to personalize that and say, man, I can stray from the truth. What, what would be a warning sign in that for us? that we should take notice of. Well, one warning sign that came to my mind this week as I was thinking about this is if you were to, your first reaction to that were to say, oh, not me. My friend, that's a pretty dangerous place that you may find yourself in where you think that you might be exempt from this warning that James gives to his followers, I mean, to, to the followers of Jesus in this letter that James gives, that if any among you strays from the truth. Now, the opposite can be, here, can be true here as well, is that some of us can go through life and we can be so unsure in what we believe that we could actually run the risk of shrinking back and not being effective workers in the kingdom of God. You know, some of us can be so overconfident, overzealous sometimes in what we believe. Some of us can, can go down wrong paths and be very committed to those wrong paths, but some of us can be unsure and we can shrink back. And as a result, 
we might find ourselves being ineffective workers in the kingdom of God because we're actually so unsure of what we believe. James says here, it's such, a, it's such a gentle but real warning if any of you strays from the truth. Now, let's be really clear here about what James is talking about when he says the idea of truth. Uh, Doug Moo, I've referenced uh, Doug Moo several times throughout the course of the sermon series. As a con- he's a commentator, theologian, great scholar. He says this, the truth here does not refer to Christian doctrine in the narrow sense, but more broadly to all that is involved in the gospel. This truth is something that is to be done as well as believed. I want to kind of illustrate it very loosely in this way. There are things in Christian doctrine that are open-handed. We can have those conversations. We can have fun conversations around those things. They can also get a little spirited, but but they're open-handed. But then there are some closed-handed things that, that these things are not up for grabs. We, we, we as, as, as Christ followers, as, as people who, who align ourselves with teachings and truths of Scripture, there are some things that are essentials for our life to believe in. And Doug Moo says here that, that this is not, this is, he's not referring to Christian doctrine in the narrow sense, but, but all that is involved in the gospel. And now this gets into uh, some, some, maybe some tension that exists when we even use the word gospel. See, the gospel means good news. And, and in America, especially over the last hundred years, we have turned the gospel into the message of what happens when you die. But what the gospel is actually, yes, that's a part of it, but what the gospel is actually getting at, the good news of Jesus is this, what happens if you actually live? What happens when you live for the kingdom of God? What happens when you live with your life aligned with King Jesus? Not just what happens to you when you die. And in America... We have missed this so much. I've been in churches before they would say, well, brother, just preach the gospel. And oftentimes that statement is used in this context. When, when I have heard people say, well, brother, just preach the gospel, what they're often referring to is don't preach the word of God and have it convict my heart. Just preach it to people who don't know Jesus. And yet so much of what we see here in the New Testament especially, is about Christian maturity, how to grow up in Christ, how to be mature Christ followers, how to live in line with King Jesus and the kingdom of God. And James says here, if any of you strays from truth. You see, James just doesn't want us to think the right things. He wants us to do the right things. Thinking and believing is important. Thinking and believing informs our actions. But once again, James is calling us back to the teaching of Jesus. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, the Sermon on the Mount, the ethic of the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of God is going to look like. Jesus says this, let your light shine before others. So they may what? Know what you think? No. 
See your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I've often said this, is that good works don't save us, but good gospel works are a sign of a changed life. I'll illustrate it this way. I've been married for 17 and a half years. Um, There were things before I was married that were perfectly acceptable for me to do. I could spend my money with very little consideration to how it might affect a family because I didn't have one. I didn't have to consult with anybody about uh, traveling. Carl and I were talking this morning that I had an opportunity when I was, I mean, it felt like I was a baby and reflecting. I was 21, 22 years old, had an opportunity to go travel Europe with a, with a musician and, and, and travel all over. I could have done that without consulting or considering anybody. I didn't have to take into consideration where I lived If I liked the place and could afford it, it was good enough for me. I didn't have to think about and consider someone else about how I spent my time. If I wanted to hang out with friends all the time, travel with some friends, sit on a couch all day and watch football, play golf whenever I wanted, sleep in, eat dinner at 10 p.m. and go to bed at 2 a.m., it didn't matter. I wasn't married. And now some of you are sitting here going, wait a minute, I'm married and I do those things. We'll talk after church, okay, friends? Like, we'll, we'll do that in just a minute. You see, I've been married 17 and a half years. And while it might have taken a few bumps in the road for Kelly to get me where she needed me to be, marriage has changed me. And marriage has changed my actions. It's changed my thoughts. It has changed my life. And being aligned with King Jesus and calling yourself a Christ follower changes our lives. It changes our desire to mature up in Christ. It changes our desire that when we hear something like, it's possible for me to stray from the truth, it changes our initial reaction to go, ooh, man, I need to do what we're going to do at the end of the message today. I need to do some self-inventory and make sure that I'm not drifting away from some things that are important in my life. James would say because of Jesus, our lives should change, but that it is possible for us to slip back into our old selfish ways. It is possible for us to drift from the truth of the gospel and all of what the gospel entails and begin to live lives that run opposite of that. It is possible. And and James didn't expound on this because remember, this letter, while it was passed around, it was written for specific people, a specific context. It would be like writing something now and then someone reading it 2,000 years down the road. There's a lot of it that would make sense, but there's a lot of nuance in it as well that wouldn't have to be spoken because it was just assumed. James also knows that there are cultural things in our lives every day that impact our Christian maturity. It it impacts us and and it can cause us, these cultural forces pull us away from truth. Now, It would be a lot easier for me to not mention a few common cultural forces that lead us astray in gospel truth. But it would also be unfaithful and it would be unwise. 
I have wrestled, especially the last two years, I've wrestled over what does pastoral faithfulness look like right now? What would, what would the New Testament writers, if we were living in the day and age of the New Testament, what would the New Testament writers say to our community, our context? If, if they were writing letters into this space, what would they be saying? I've wrestled with that. The context that, that James wrote to had these cultural forces pulling, tempting and discipling followers or forming followers of Jesus away from gospel truth. Paul dealt with the same thing when he wrote to the, to the church at Galatia. He said this, maybe some of the most strong language in all of the New Testament. He said this, who has bewitched you? Whoo! You ain't sending that on a, on a Christmas card this Christmas season. That's some strong language. Other New Testament writers said things like this. They warned the church that people would come in like savage wolves. So it would be a mistake to think that we don't have those same cultural forces that are at work today. And it would also be a mistake to not bring some of these cultural forces that are maybe sitting in darkness and bring them into light so that we can deal with them and work through them accordingly. So I want to give you three that I think are prominent in, in, in the American South. And as I kind of interact with people and talk with people and meet people out for lunch and coffee and all the different things, these are the, these are the three ones that I sort of see that, that are cultural forces that can pull us away from the truth of God. Here we go. Cultural force number one. The cultural force of formation via the American gospel. You say, what is the American gospel? I'll give it to you this way. Live a, live a comfortable life, sprinkle in a bit of Jesus when it's convenient for me, and go to heaven when I die. That's about the best sort of summation of the American gospel. Live a comfortable life, no sacrifice involved, no inconvenience, no, no dramatic change to any lifestyle, no sacrificing of time, talent, energy, effort, nothing. Sprinkle in a bit of Jesus when it's just convenient for me and go to heaven when I die. Now, it's never stated like that, but time and time again, that's what the American gospel tries to form us into believing. And this robs us of the truth of the gospel. That the call, Jesus says it in, in, in the gospel of Mark so clearly. The call to follow Jesus is what? First and foremost, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. And the, the, the very... DNA of being aligned with King Jesus is to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. We are to be witnesses to the goodness of God, to the kingdom of God. And yet, this formation via the American gospel compromises the truth of the gospel that we see in Scripture. And it allows us to settle for something that is not the fullness of what Christ Jesus died for. The second cultural force is this. It's the cultural force of discipleship by 24-hour media. This is pervasive. 
And, and we think of the idea of discipleship, we think of the, that we've, we've relegated that inside the church, the four walls of the church. But anything can make you a disciple of it. And, and in a kind of a funny way, like we're, we're disciples of Georgia Bulldog football. We love it. My wife listens to recruiting podcasts. She can tell you who the prospective, you know, five-star quarterback that's a sophomore playing in some random school in Florida is right now that's on Kirby Smart's radar. She follows it. She loves it. We do too. My whole family does. My daughter has been looking for shoes that are the Georgia Bulldog colors. So we can be discipled into or by anything. But there is a cultural force of discipleship by 24-hour media that is pervasive in our, in our society, especially here in the South. It'll begin to shape our thoughts. It'll begin to shape our attitude towards other people. It can begin to rob us of truth. Just, you know, everyday normal, like skies blue, grass is green truth. But, but it can also begin to shape and rob us of truth that is the truth of King Jesus. And this cycle of discipleship by the media has a grip on many of us. And when I say media, I don't just mean, you know, cable news. I mean the, the, the device that's in our pocket, social media, the, the, the things that we read, the people that we interact with. This cycle of discipleship can lead us into some dangerous territories and can lead us into some dangerous ways of what we think about when it comes to very uh, sh- uh, 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 biblical issues that are a matter of importance. Things like human sexuality, things like protecting the unborn, the real issue of justice that's so clearly stated in Scripture We will read time and time again over these next five times we gather as we look at Advent about the issue of justice during Advent, during this season, that that was part of the reason why Christ Jesus came. It can lead us to to think about, to think differently than the way that the gospel would tell us to apply and think about the issue of racial tensions here in America. And it would lead us to think differently about caring for the poor and the oppressed. And I would like to call us, I would like to, in the middle of this message, trying to sort of illustrate these cultural forces, I would like to call us to an application as we begin to think about 2022. I believe that God has something for you that is better. And I want to illustrate, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to challenge you about around it in this way. Spend more time each day in Christian community talking about Jesus, discussing theology, wrestling through uh, the, what the gospel is. Spend more time reading your Bible and spend more time in your prayer than you do consuming media. And you say, I can't do that, man. I've got 15 minutes to get a devotional in in the morning, and that's all I've got right now. Awesome. Spend 14 minutes a day then consuming media. And watch what happens. 
Watch what begins to happen when you begin to surround your life with Christian community and Christian thinking. When you begin to pour into scripture and you begin to create a thirst for spending time in prayer, whether it's structured or, or, or just kind of you know, at random. And when you begin to spend time in prayer and community with, with Jesus. Watch what begins to form in your life and watch what begins to get unformed out of your life in those moments. Here's my promise to you is that you will bear the fruit of what is currently watering your soul. I want to say that again so you don't miss it. You will bear the fruit of what is currently watering your soul. So let's bear good, kingdom-minded fruit together. The third uh, cultural force, we have the cultural force of formation via the American gospel, we have the cultural force of discipleship by 24-hour media, and the third cultural force is the force of alignment with the empire. And I want to break this down for us because this is, sed- subdu- this is seductive and it is subversive. It can certainly be powered and informed by the latter. But, but this cultural force of alignment with the empire, just as, as kind of basic as I can say it in just a few minutes that I have, is it is the alignment with our Christian faith that has to be in, in alignment with the empire, or as Jesus might say, the kingdom of the world. And it is always proven to be destructive. Just look through church history. Whenever the church and the empire try to align, it is a disaster. Jesus said to Pilate in the moment when he was about to be, you know, either set free or sent to his death, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And once again in the Sermon of the Mount, he's talking constantly about the way of the kingdom of God versus the way of the world. When, when you're reading through the Sermon on the Mount, just this is free, it's not in my notes, but when you're reading through the Sermon on the Mount and you hear Jesus say, uh, you have heard it said, that, that is often the common just sort of thing of the way the world works. And then when you say, when you read, but I say to you, now Jesus is pointing us to something different. He's pointing us to the kingdom of God. And yet, I know, man, I, you're like, man, I want to hear baby Jesus. And like, can we talk about, but, but, but we would be doing a mistake to move into a season of Advent, of waiting, of longing, of hoping. If we didn't stop for a moment and say, okay, what is James, what, what would be pulling me away from the truth? Especially here in America and in the South, our temptation to bring our faith in alignment with the empire or the kingdom of this world, it robs us of so much. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray and want morally upright, kind, respectable, honest people leading our country, our state, and, and local governments. It doesn't mean that we should stop praying for our nation's leaders. Paul commended us to do that uh, uh, through his writings. It doesn't mean that we can't even enjoy the benefits of where we live and be thankful to God for those benefits. But we should always keep this in check. Power corrupts people. Power corrupts people. 
And a warning for us today is this, is that we cannot believe the lie that certain powers here in America threaten the kingdom of God. It's just not true. Or we can't believe the opposite lie, which is this, is that we have to align ourselves with certain powers here in America to bring the kingdom of God to bear. We're going to read the scripture this Advent season that was the prophetic message that said that his kingdom will have no end. These three cultural forces can pull us away from gospel truth. And this leads us to our second uncomfortable reality, if you weren't uncomfortable enough already. And that is this. Is that we must attempt to bring those back who have strayed from the truth. James says it here. If any of you among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, Let that person know whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. What is clear from this context here in James is a couple of things. One is this is happening in this context. People are straying from the truth and he's trying to encourage people, turn them back, bring them back, go after them. You know, think about the story that Jesus told, just kind of the, the heart of our Father, Jesus told, told these three parables in Luke 15, and, and there were three parables of ascending value, but there were three parables of things that had become lost. And the great lengths that in every one of these circumstances, the people who had, had lost the thing went through in order to find the thing and bring it back home. And I just can't help but think this. So much of, so much of James's teaching uh, in this letter aligns itself with Jesus' teaching. I, I just can't help to think that maybe, maybe this is kind of the idea that James had in mind. Go after them. Bring them back. Make an attempt to look at them and say, your life has value, but you've gotten off track. Truth matters. And come, come back into the truth of the gospel of King Jesus. The second reality that we have to kind of deal with in this is that it has to be done through the context of relationships. Again, think about the, the overarching context of who he's writing this letter to. This was a, a, these little communities would have been very close-knit communities. They would have known each other. They would have done, in our modern terms, they would have done life with each other. And James is writing this into a very relational community, saying, do this in the context of relationships. And the third one is this, third, third reality here is this, is this is a huge risk, is it not? But it is a risk worth taking. James says that there is much at stake in rescuing people from the bonds of a false gospel. He says it in this way. He will save his soul from death. That's what's at stake when it comes to straying from the truth, seeing a brother or a sister in Christ stray from that truth, and being unwilling because it's uncomfortable to stray, to to, to engage and say, bring them back. Bring them back. 
N.T. Wright says it this way, to see someone wandering off in a dangerous direction and do nothing about it is a tragic uh, dereliction of duty. It may be hard to turn them back. They may, be, they may insist they are right and we are wrong, but the effort must be made precisely in the humility and patience with uh, which James has been urging all through. You see, James, it's almost like the entire letter of James, this entire writing of James has kind of crescendoed up into this moment. People who have strayed from truth because they've considered hard circumstances, hard times as a sign of judgment from God. And so what do they do? They, they, they wander away. And James would say, no, consider it joy when you encounter various trials. People who in chapter two, they would, they would, and end of chapter one, they would look at widows and orphans and they would view them as, as the, the, the low end of the, of the spectrum and we don't need to worry about them. They're disregarded in society anyway. And James would say, no, 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 no. True religion is actually caring for them. You see what, what James is doing time and time again throughout this course of this entire letter, it's almost like he's giving us a glimpse into what these truths that people were straying from actually were. And they're the same things in our life today as so often we will look at and we will stray from them as well. You know, there's been a few times in the last couple of years where I have felt led to attempt to turn someone back into truth. It's almost always been in the context of conversations. It's almost always been face to face. And it's always been uncomfortable every single time. There's never been a time, if I knew that it was going to have to happen, this conversation was going to take place, there's never been a time where I woke up that morning and said, man, I'm so glad I get to do this. It's hard. It's awkward. Uncomfortable. Some of those relationships now, they're stronger than they've ever been. And some of those relationships, they've never been the same. A few of us, myself included, no matter how gently we are told do not like being told that we have wandered or strayed away from gospel truth. And yet James would say is that if you're maturing in Christ, this is what we do. In my family, we have a little bit of a slogan, especially since church planting twice and, you know, just the last couple of years, especially in different things, is we say this, we do hard things. That's what we do. We do hard things. It's not easy and it's not, uncomfortable. it's not comfortable, but we do hard things. And I have two people in my life that I'm so thankful for uh, because they have come to me several times over the last few years and, 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 and made, made, thing, made statements to me that were uncomfortable and that I didn't want to hear, but they did it in love. And they did it because they knew that they needed to do it and that I needed to hear it. Uh, one is my wife, Kelly. Um, Randy told me this statement several months ago. I was talking to him about needing wisdom about something for something, and he made this statement to me. He said, you know, uh, he, said, he said, brother, he said, uh, you, should, you should really ask the Lord uh, to let you hear from the Holy Spirit in this season. And I said, yeah, that's a great advice. And he said, and oftentimes the Holy Spirit sounds a lot like the voice of your spouse. And there have been time and time again where my wife has come to me and, and course corrected because I've gotten off track. I've kind of strayed from, from something that was really important, from, from truth. 
I've gotten consumed by something else. You need to come back down to earth a little bit. And the other one is my friend Adam Reisinger. Adam says it this way. He says, there's been a few times where I've had to talk you off the ledge. (laughs) And it's true. But we need those people in our lives. We, we, We need to be those people in other people's lives. And James here is, is, is encouraging us, is, is, is kind of sounding the alarm. You can stray and other people can stray from the truth. And we have to bring them back. We have to bring them back. I love the way that the rest of that N.T. Wright quote goes this way. When that is done, bringing them back, a bit of heaven arrives on earth. A bit of God's future becomes real in the present. New life and forgiveness are there in person. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So the, the call for response, and, and Carl and T are going to go ahead and come on up. They're going to lead us in another song as we respond this morning. The, the call today is really in three parts. Uh, part number one is this, is do you know the truth? Have you experienced the truth of the King Jesus gospel? You may have never strayed away from the truth because you've never encountered the truth. So, so that's the first thing that's the call for us today is to reflect on that. Do we know the truth? Have we experienced the truth of the King Jesus gospel? But the second one is this, is that have, have you, have I strayed from the truth of the King Jesus gospel? Maybe you've, you've been living a life. Maybe you've been coming to church and maybe you've been reading your Bible. You've been doing those things. But, but something's crept in. Something has begun to kind of rob you of the joy that you have in Christ. Something has begun to cause you to think differently about people that you're unsure God thinks that way about them. Let's examine ourselves today. Have I strayed from the truth of the King Jesus gospel? And then the third call of response, and what I want to invite you just to kind of have a moment this morning of kind of introspection. Is there anyone in your life, is there anyone in my life who I feel led by the Holy Spirit to gently, lovingly, but boldly attempt to turn back to the truth of the King Jesus gospel? Let me say this. That will be an uncomfortable conversation. But they, if it's done in humility, and if it's done by the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit, they need you to do that. James would say they need you to do that for them. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to take two minutes and I want us to just have a moment where we're just, we're just considering these things. And then Carl and T are going to lead us in a, in a song. We're just going to reflect and think about the mercy of God. Hey, he saved us. He's rescued us. And then we're going to respond by taking the Lord's Supper, but we're also going to respond by 
thinking on Advent and the hope that we have in Jesus this morning. So let's just take a minute, reflect quietly, examine our lives quietly for about two minutes. Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Hill Podcast. We really hope you found this message compelling and inviting. If you'd like to connect with someone to find out more about Grace Hill Church, or maybe discuss this episode or something else about life or faith, please don't hesitate to reach out to us directly at gracehill901.com. We'd really love to connect and discuss anything with you. And please remember, you matter.